Welcome to the Insider's Guide to Finance, where we dive into stories from the front lines of financing public and private companies. I host seasoned CEOs, fund managers, bankers, brokers, and business experts who will answer your questions about how to properly engage investors, finance opportunities, and build outstanding success stories. We dig into the educational how-tos and mechanics of structuring good deals. You'll also hear about strokes of luck, tense negotiations, and the pressures of closing, while also getting insights on how to best navigate the public markets. Welcome back to the Insider's Guide to Finance. Today's episode is a little different. We're going to discuss the world of paid digital investor marketing, specifically for investor relations. We're going to discuss how a data-driven scientific approach to reaching and engaging high-value investors is key to increasing your public market presence. This episode is tailored for CEOs, CFOs, and IR pros of public companies. There's a safer, more predictable results-focused way to market your public company. There's no need to write six or seven-figure checks, and there's no need for aggressive, influencer-led, meme-toting, regulatory-attracting campaigns that rarely create sustainable or an increased valuation. If you're looking to run a quick promote, this episode is not for you. If you're looking to invest in a measurable program that can accretively build your investor audience and shareholder base, then keep listening. Our goal is to help management teams make better investment marketing decisions, with their investors' capital, that is. We want good companies to succeed, and we want retail investors to win because they are a lifeblood of our small-cap ecosystem. We want this to be valuable for you. If you have questions about digital investor marketing, we encourage you to book a call with us today. Now, on with the show. My name is Corey Cleveland. I'm the president of Creative Return and the host of this podcast, The Insider's Guide to Finance. Today, we're sitting down with our partner, our partner in crime, who's Ian Beckmanis, the CEO of Digital 257. The purpose of today's conversation is to discuss paid digital investor marketing. So we are speaking to the CEOs and the IR pros out there who need to build investor audiences. And we want to get into what works, what doesn't. And I think more importantly, how to properly spend money on building an investor audience. So what I want to do is start off with some introductions and backgrounds on yourself. And Ian, why don't you give a background on yourself and, and we'll talk about how, how you got here. So I have an engineering degree and that spawns an idea, some inventions once, once I graduated and I wanted to know how am I going to sell these? So I got into marketing, figuring out how to sell direct mail, direct marketing, very scientific approaches to advertising. And eventually I got into role as creative director for a lead generation agency where our job was essentially we had to go out, pay with our own money, get leads and sell them to our clients who would pay us more for those leads. So spending a buck, making two bucks. And then I eventually ended up in the capital market arena where that kind of mentality was completely absent. So Digital 257 it was my attempt at filling that void of how can we spend marketing budget in a creative manner, come back with friends attached, that kind of thing. Something I've always appreciated about 
working with you and getting to know you is that that deep engineering mindset and when applied to the world of digital marketing of paying $1 with the goal of getting $2 back, always measuring, iterating, and considering that. I've thoroughly enjoyed working with you. Now, for context for our listeners, my background's been in the capital markets. I spent the first eight to 10 years of my career, or I'd say invested them in helping finance and build high-tech startups. We did this with the Canadian venture capital system or the Canadian public venture capital system, where you would have entities which are public trading on the TSX, the CSE, and so on, and have to raise that money and then maintain a market after there as a public company. After leaving that arena of financing and building these companies, I pursued a passion in digital marketing tied back to the world of investor relations and investor marketing. And that is the, what really spawned Creative Return, where we help public companies engage their investor audiences so they can maintain a really vibrant capital market. So with that background and what we're doing today, we're going to discuss what it takes to put together a really strong and Ian's favorite word, robust capital markets program or investor marketing program. And, you know, I'm again, I'm going to say it. One of the reasons why we're doing this is because there is so much waste even fraudulence when it comes to the use of investor capital for investor relations. And in my opinion, it's got to stop. And collectively, our opinion, there is a better, more measurable way to reach new investors and convert them into shareholders. So I want you to talk us through from a high level, what is a paid digital investor marketing program and why should CEOs and IR pros care? All right, let's do this. So we're speaking mainly here to, to smaller cap companies and everyone wants more liquidity. More liquidity begets liquidity. You get bigger institutions you can step in and buy your stock. There's all sorts of benefits. If you have a bigger retail shareholder base and it's less concentrated in, in hands, your stock is less volatile. There's all sorts of benefits. So your digital marketing program, what's it want to do? Let's reverse engineer it. Let's start. If you can get 5,000 shareholders, your stock's probably going to be trading fairly liquidly. So how do you get 5,000 shareholders? Well, let's get in an arena, picture an arena here, a stadium full of, let's say, 50,000 investors who understands that and, and buy into your thesis that your company's going to be with more in the future than it is now. If you don't have that, you have no compelling reason for that, this isn't going to work for you. You can stop. But if so, keep going. So we're going to take marketing dollars here and build that audience and talk with that audience. That's our goal. I think should be the goal in digital marketing spend. So how you do that cost effectively then comes down to how you're measuring things and your ability to just kind of step in alignment with, with human psychology and make everything better. You know, when building an investor marketing program, I think it's really important to see that, you know, the stadium analogy is one of filling that stadium so you can deliver that good message. And every person you bring into that stadium has a cost for them being there. What did it cost to get them in that seat? And there's tons of different ways you can go about doing this. There's some that are just a hell of a lot more effective and more measurable than others. When you look at the world of digital marketing, you've got a ton of different avenues like 
you can go and pay somebody who's already got an audience. They could be an influencer. They could be a newsletter. They could be, you know, another, you know, a channel online where they do an interview with you. Something to keep in mind there, and I want us to get in a little bit more detail later, though, is the difference between an owned audience, one that you own, they're your shareholder, they're your investors, your investor leads, and somebody else's. And what it's going to take to either pay for those to bring over and convert them, or use a channel which is owned by you to go out there and bring that audience in 100% under your brand name. And that's what we're focused on because, in my opinion, it's the most cost-effective and important way to do it. You want to be top of mind with your investors. Let's just touch on one more point, Ian, and I know we've discussed this before, bringing it back to why CEOs and IRA pros need to care. One is a thing about distribution and shareholder ownership. If you have a concentration of shareholders and one sells, one's an institution, new portfolio manager, and they're not interested in what you're doing anymore, you can find yourself in a hole as a public company you have to build up from a valuation standpoint. There's no more remorse there. To counter that is the development of a robust retail audience. What else is there that you see CEOs should be concerned about? Well, it comes down to how much are they spending to build that audience? Do they control it? And can they communicate to it effectively to get them to buy? And we don't have infinitely large budget, unfortunately. So we need to do this in a in a scientific manner, in a, in a low risk manner. And I think if more CEOs are properly educated to this, marketing doesn't become this high risk game where you're, you're shaking your hands, writing a $1 million check to some guy that has some vague promises. It can be a lot more scientific in the manner. Well, let's, let's do a test. Let's, let's spend $5,000, $10,000 here over the course of a month and measure completely what we get back. How, how many new investors do we get? How responsive are they? How many calls do we get from them? How many investor deck downloads do we get? These kind of things. And more importantly, do they become a shareholder? There's something there that when you discuss the, the CEO stroking a check for a massive sum of money to some influencer or marketing group, I've heard enough times that there's been a few of these groups who they had a hot hand. They kind of got into a sector at the right time and somebody wrote a big check to them and the stock went to the moon. But then they go do it later in a sector that's not hot or it's just not known. And that money goes to complete waste. And, you know, same as the money in the the hot sector, it tends to, to go to waste because you're not building really that conviction with that audience. It's just getting people in and pumping it quick. So I think there's something to be really considered there of, you know, what is actually happening with those investor dollars? And then when you look at doing tests, like a $5,000 test or a $10,000 test, very scientifically to see what works, that might sound like a lot of money that could be lost. It wouldn't be lost. It's activated on. And now just as a quick comparable, what does it cost you to go do a non-deal roadshow or to go to just a conference where you get a handful of business cards and some people expressing some interest? And then the follow-up, do you actually follow up? So all of these things come together to look and say, okay, well, there is a better way. When we're talking about digital marketing program, the next thing I want to discuss is from a high level, just a starting point, what are the pieces of that marketing program, that marketing funnel? So take us from the top, Ian. So step one is you got to get attention. People are busy. 
they're flying through the internet. They got distractions. They got Netflix. They got kids. All these, you know, they got Trump in the headlines. They got Biden in the headlines. There's there's balloons attacking us now. All sorts of nonsense. So you've got to get attention. And your goal here now is just break it up into a process. What needs to happen? And this process should kind of mirror if you were ever done IR and you've cold called people, you've got to get them on the phone. You got to plant that seed, that hook that I like to call it, that generates that aha. They're like, yeah, I, th- I, I can see that your company could be worth more in the future than it is now if you execute on some things. So that should be your step one goal with second goal of being able to follow up with them. So what we do at 257 is we create what we call cold traffic landing pages. And this is designed to take someone from, they have no clue who you are, but we know a little bit about them. We know that they're interested in investing. They're interested, it's a gold mining client we have. We target gold bugs because it's an easier sell, obviously. So our landing pages are designed to take people from that know nothing to that aha moment. Like, yeah, oh, okay, yeah, I'm in agreement here. You guys could, if you pull this off, you could make some money. And this is a lot different than other people. If ever seen some of those aggressive promos out there, the way to get around the aggressive promos and not have to, you know, hide from the SEC for the rest of your life is to be less aggressive up front be straightforward. There's, here's our risks. Here's the upside. No hype. Everything needs to have, all your claims need to be backed up, supported by numbers. This is just actually good copywriting, by the way. But you're not asking them to buy. You're just asking them to invite them in and you'll spoon feed them a curated feed of due diligence for them to consume. And so that's what we do. And we're trying to get basically the email address because the, the email address, that's the audience you can communicate to them indefinitely. You don't have to pay a, a tax essentially when you when you go to these other audiences that have built their own platforms and they're asking you to pay to go talk on them. Those can be effective and you shouldn't just completely ignore them. But you want to have that audience that build your own audience. Stop paying to build someone else's and follow up with them. So paid advertising, it starts with the ad click, getting the attention to the landing page. And we can dive in there a bit there. I can see you got maybe a question popped into your head. Well, there's some thoughts there. And like, what is a valuable lead? How do you value a lead? Or is it a quality lead? That's another thing to be to be considered. And then looking at landing pages, these things are not just a, a one-off throw it up there. Again, there's a testing, there's an A-B testing there, followed by to get even more detailed on it, the way you work with 257 is we've got a cold lander to give somebody that aha moment and do it in a way that is, yeah, to your point, not going to trigger the, the regulators to, to be chasing you down, followed by the warm lander. So if somebody's come to that landing page, we use the technology to be able to chase them around the internet to remind them, hey, maybe they should come back and have another look if they haven't already. And that takes me to the next discussion point is a remarketing audience. So let's actually talk about remarketing because once we, we have paid ads, which we can get into detail there, but we bring people to the landers, you start to build up another asset. One, if you get their email address, because that's a form of contact, and we'll discuss that. But the other is this remarketing audience. So talk to us about that. Yeah, great point. Glad you brought it up. 
the remarketing audience is a very, very useful tool. And you've probably experienced this if you've ever done online shopping. You go look for a t-shirt, click it, read the website, decide not to buy, but you're getting t-shirt ads following you around crazily over the internet. So we've taken that same technology, that ability to target someone who's taken some sort of action on your website and show them new ads. And the first thing we do is we segment it. So some people hit your landing page and they'll take off. That's fine. That's inevitable. It's a math game. Some people will read everything on your landing page, not opt in. Some people will read it, Google your company, click around your investor deck, and then maybe opt in or not opt in, but still they showed a lot of interest. So we can tag people based on actions they've taken and build these segmented lists of specific people. So we do what we like to call interested, warm, and like an active investors. So investors who are reading your news, your investor presentation, but aren't on your email list, you can reach them with the targeted ad. And it kind of looks like to these people, if you consistently use these ads over time, it's like, man, these guys, there's always something going on with these guys. They're always in the news. But these little ads just show up just with like important news. Let's say you pay five, 10 grand to get a video made with, with some of these guys, these interviews. Good. That might go out to their audience of 1,000 people might see it, 2,000 might see it. You got to think that the value of that video comes when someone watches it, consumes it, and it builds more conviction in them. That's what's going to change their behavior to buy more stocks. You want people to watch that. But most people don't have the right channels for that. They have to pay people for that. But if you're, you're building website remarketing audience, it doesn't have to be through paid traffic either, by the way. You could just put the tags in your website and start measuring capturing your existing traffic. But you build up these lists. Our clients have, you know, 50,000, 100,000, 200,000 on marketing lists, but you don't have to hit everyone. Segment it by the interested people so you're spending your money better and you drive them to these video views. So now you're you're spending 25 cents, 50 cents to get people to watch. They will watch if they're interested in your company 20-minute videos. It's an incredible use of of marketing budget, in my opinion. And you don't have, once they're warmed up to you properly and they're hooked on the company, they will watch content. When news comes out, we've in the past collectively worked to use that retargeting audience, a remarketing audience to get that news in front of people. So more people see it. It's just not a, you know, a black and white news release. And you tie that in with a video explaining that press release and we've been able to, to measure like all the engagement rates. You know, people will watch a 20 minute movie or a video of talking about a development of a company. And then if you can get that in front of 10, 20, 30,000 people because of that remarketing audience, that is a huge, huge, you know, kind of stadium you're speaking to as they've warmed up to the story. And back to the initial IR approach that you mentioned, like, you know, the old school IR way of picking up the phone and phoning people, giving them that aha, saying we've got some catalysts coming down the way and starting to build that relationship that way. What we're doing here is really doing it electronically. We're doing it at scale. A hundred people at a time can be having that same you know, proverbial conversation with the company. And so I do want to make one point though. What we do together for our clients is not a replacement for an IR professional. You still need that person to help build the narrative, communicate the news, 
and build those one-on-one relationships with the high-value investors who can really, really move the needle. Re-rate a company because they're seeing good news. The work we do is to build really a vibrant retail audience that helps provide liquidity so those bigger relationships can start to take a position in the company. And I think those are good points to keep in mind. We touched on this a bit, but I think we've got to go back to discussing paid ads and the work you do. Talk me through the new school versus the old school approach to paid ads. And I think it's important because there's a lot of people out there who can say to potential pubco, hey, I can get you in front of a big audience through paid ads. There's more to that story. Yeah, there definitely is. And try and keep me on point here because I can really rattle off about this for, for hours on end. So let's go back to the old school way of... Talk to me about where am I going to see this ad? Like as a starting point and then, then take us down the rabbit hole. Yeah, let's, let's go. So in the, the old school way, you know, thinking, and it's just, this is just pure logic. You want to reach some investors. This is in 1995. You put an ad in the Wall Street Journal. Internet starts warming up. You can start placing banner ads in around 2000 on financial websites. Google starts really kicking in around 2002, 2003. They introduce like the search ads, which really changed things. So now you, you can show your ads to people who are looking for, you know, typing in, what's the gold price today? Well, that's a good, might be a good ad time opportunity to show your, your gold stock ad to this person, that kind of thing. So that's, you try and show your ads to them there. And then when I started Digital 257, you start hearing about, everyone's heard all the data stuff going on, but they have data on people's searches, what they're doing, their browsing. So at a rudimentary level, we were going to people who were interested in small cap stocks. We could determine they were bullish on gold. We could we could build a list of people that had gold searches, you know, my, gold stock mining searches. We're visiting all the niche little stock picking newsletters so we could find the retail guys and target them fairly easy. And it's not about where is the website where you're going to show an ad. It's what kind of characteristics of a person do you want to show your ads to? And so it's the ad gets displayed, not on a specific website necessarily, but it gets shown to people with that meet your criteria. But there's so much data out there, right? We like to joke and talk about how Google knows you're pregnant just before you do. And they know that based off like the search changes that they start asking questions and Google's machine learning recognizes, Hey, people that were asking this and later became pregnant and started buying, you know, baby clothes, stuff like that. The kind of behavior they have, you know, nine months before the baby comes out. So they know these things, they have GPS data, of your phone, they know if you're you're driving drunk. They know if you're alcoholic. All these things can be determined through machine learning, but it's not. I just can't go in there as a marketer and be like, you know, I want all the alcoholics. I don't want to show ads to them. I want to target all the two month pregnant women. It's it's just machine making a very educated guess. Let's dive in on why Google is an ad network. Why they do this? Their incentive is to show the right ad to the right person at the right time so that they get the click. And that leads into their revenue model. So I think for context, when discussing the amount of data they have and the ability for you as a 
as a marketer in the paid ad space to get in front of them and start to to help deliver and refine the approach of reaching the right person at the right time so that they take action, that's in their best interest as Google. But it's also in our best interest to get the the most ready person at that time. In our case, it's talking about investors. So continue building on this because I think it is a really important one. And even what are questions that a CEO or an IR pro could ask others who are saying they're going to do paid ads? Like, how do you approach this? It's good you bring that up because you want to align yourself with Google's business interests. If Google can make money off you and you're making money, you're increasing your shareholder base, that kind of thing. That's a win-win. You don't want to fight Google. You want to align yourself with them. So think of, here's how Google makes all their money. They buy ad space or they have digital properties like Gmail, um, the search, and they want to sell that ad space at the highest price possible. And they sell it on a per-click basis. So the more clicks and the more someone's willing to bid, the more money they get. So in a simple, let's, let's strip things down to a simple state. If you're selling women's lipstick, you would be willing to spend twice as much for a click if you had data that would allow you to target women only, right? Yeah. That just kind of makes sense. So that's what Google's trying to do. They're using data to help you find that audience. So you're willing to pay more to put your ad in front of them. And this is why the data game is worth so much money. It's, it allows you to pinpoint exactly where to place these ads. This form of placing the ad is basically on the data-rich ad platforms. That would be Facebook, which includes Instagram. And then you have Google, and that includes like Gmail, their display network, and YouTube. And I think Microsoft's really stepping their game up too. So those are the three data-rich environments. And to play in them, you need to have be able to feed back data on who you want, not necessarily where you want your ads to show. It's who do you want to spend money to create a specific measurable action on your website? What about the questions that CEOs who are spending money on this, what should they be asking? How do they know they're getting a quality lead? If, if, if they've got somebody doing this on their behalf and Google's taken a bunch of their money to place some ads kind of thing through an agent who's buying these ads for them, what questions should they be asking to know that they're getting high quality leads that come down the pipe and convert? Well, if the agency is not even asking you what kind of conversion you want, you should run away because that's step one. It's what can we measure? What's our goal? And you have the systems reporting in place to measure and track that. That's step one. Otherwise, you're going to get pitches like, oh, we can get you 10 billion impressions. We can get you 1 million clicks. These arbitrary things that don't mean anything. I could get someone 20 million clicks for a penny a click, but it's I'd be paying for mobile ad traffic where it's someone's baby accidentally clicking an ad on an iPad, right? There's all these things to consider. So... That's your meat cleaver that will immediately show you who not to use for an ad agency. And then from there, it's it's on their end to determine what, what kind of result can we get with this media spend and talking with the, the agencies. How do you do it? What's your methodology? That kind of thing. We've discussed landing pages. It's where 
somebody comes, they're looking for that aha, and they've gotten there through a paid ad that's been placed and, you know, placed with a high degree of data to really hone in on that individual. Once we start capturing this interest, we capture their emails. What's next? What is the next part of this process to start to build that conviction? Yeah. So that's the follow-up loop. And that could be anything. Our best clients that have worked out long-term for us are people that have process in place. They have usually have a couple IR people to diligently follow up with the leads and answer questions, take their calls and that kind of thing. But now a lot of this sh- should be automated. So you can introduce things like an autoresponder. And this just will change your economics of the whole situation. So you, sure, you get a lead. What happens next? Well, set up an autoresponder follow-up sequence. So within five minutes, email goes out. It should be from whoever the face of your company is who answers the emails. It should be friendly. It should be warm. It should humanize them. You point like, hey, thanks for, uh, thanks for signing up. Here's the latest investor presentation. We've got a CEO video here that will really open your eyes to uh, the opportunity. And if you want to book a call with me, just click this link here and schedule a call. Like, so there's all these things there. You're trying to pull them deeper into your world. You want to get that question and answer process going. From those questions you're getting, you can find holes in, in, your, in your story. Am I not answering certain objections? So you can tighten up your deck. You can have an FAQ section, which starts to automate these things. You can point these people that come in be like, hey, we get these 10 questions quite often. Here they are. Boom, 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 boom. Here's the answers. It's like, great. I mean, if it's working well, you shouldn't get too many questions. They just be like, okay, yeah, this looks great. I'm buying. But at a rudimentary level, that's your basic follow-up. And it, and it can be automated, a lot of it. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that you know you and I are working towards is, is this heavy automation of this whole process. And I've seen a lot number of clients in the past who they get a bunch of leads that come in and they don't do anything with them. And so if you ask yourself about, you know, or compare that to a regular sales process, a marketing and sales process, you have to have at least 15 to 20 touch points, brand touch points before somebody will really start to take interest to you. And as we were discussing earlier, you probably have at least seven intelligent touch points where somebody's giving you more time so you can express your value proposition. All of this is before they make a buying decision. And so when we're thinking about digital investor marketing and bringing somebody from first awareness and seeing your landing page, reading down really compelling copy that's giving them the information they need to to say, yeah, I'm, I'm keen here. And they give you their email. Now we're into more brand touch points. So a drip sequence that gives them bite-sized information. You know, what is the project? Who is the management team? This CEO interview will really dial you in. Those are all points bringing them closer and closer through that consideration stage of a marketing funnel towards making a buying decision. What about ongoing kind of conviction building? You know, this is part of the world that I very much work in. Like, as we say, there's, you guys bring the party and we entertain them, but what about conviction building? What have you seen, Ian? What are your points there? Let's expand on the lead generation. So uh, leads are like fruit. They, they're they better consumed fresh. Otherwise, if they're, you leave them alone, they rot. So it's very important to maintain that, that fire, that spark that was created from the ad landing page to opting in. There's that 
fire that sizzle, you got to blow some air on it, keep the fire going as soon as possible. And but conviction building, a lot of that now they can buy into the idea that you have, but they probably don't believe that management can execute. I mean, management is it's huge. The other guys, you're, you're betting on a, a sports team here. You want uh, we're Canadians here, so let's get you know we want Connor McDavid, we want Sidney Crosby. We want we want to load up our, our team here with all stars. So, can you demonstrate to this audience in the follow up sequence that you can execute the idea? And as you pro, you should be hitting milestones and you educate them like, hey, here's what we said we do. We did it. Here's how this changes should change our, our valuation or how you consider us. You can have little quips with just management, not even talking about the project, but educating just the management, just transferring some of their expertise to the audience. Because I talk to my clients, I'm blown away at how smart some of these guys are. And it's like, you listen to them for 30 minutes talking about, you know, metallurgy or mine construction. You're just like, my God, take all my money. You want to capture those things and deliver them to people in an easy to consume format. It should never stop. It should never stop. Someone buys stock. That's the best person you should be communicating with because they're invested in you now. You can get them to buy more. You shouldn't be focusing. Your budget's better spent on existing shareholders. If, if you had a limited budget, go after existing shareholders. As long as they're not miserable and you've ruined them or something like that. But these people are, are the easier, easier ones to flip. Yeah. Let's come back to that point because I think it is important to summarize it, though. It's the fact that it's less expensive or you know cheaper to convert an existing customer and get them to buy again than it is to go get a new one. The same thing applies to shareholders or investors converting to shareholders. But let's come back to the people we speak to, our clients. They are so insanely intelligent. And when you hear them speak about different aspects of their business, it's really engrossing. You're just like, wow, like I had no idea. But that Talk about building conviction. When somebody can start to communicate and educate on what they're doing and why they're doing it, it's a huge step forward in in getting people to say, I trust this company. But there's a methodology behind this. Like if you're coming right out of the gate with nothing but facts and figures, you're never going to give them the aha. We need that emotional hook at first. And then you start to reaffirm and build that trust with, hey, there is a real intelligence behind this. This is the explanation of this strategy. Or here are the milestones we said we would hit. And now we've hit them. And these are the ones we aim to hit in the future. That kind of communication, it can't just be dumped on them all at once with a 30-page deck. You'll never win them. And you can't just come at them right away with all the, the hard numbers. You'll lose them. So there's a big methodology behind that narrative delivery. And that is what starts to build conviction. And it's something that I think that is at times not given enough attention. You can't just give them a 30-page deck and expect them to buy. There is a big, big process behind this. And that's what you know starts to really build. It will build a shareholder audience. It will convert investors to shareholders. Your classic rhetoric, right? Ethos, pathos, and logos. So it's the logic, the emotion, and then the, the character of the speaker. So those are what you're basically trying to weave into a compelling narrative and your follow-up. When keeping those elements in mind, you know, we can also talk about going out there and getting your narrative out through other channels. I just want to come back to the, to the use of kind of other paid media outlets. 
So you can go and do an interview with somebody who's got an audience and you pay to be on there along with a bunch of other companies. You can go and do offline conferences, which, hey, they fill a part of an IR program. And you can go and and pay others to do various forms of lead gen. I think that's something that's really important is when done well, we've been able to tie into these sources of lead gen and actually measure them as well and say, how effective was that? Now, let's use that as a segue into the discussion of actually measuring the engagement, the effectiveness, and potentially even the value. Now, you know, I think we're going to kind of dive in and go deeper than maybe even down a rabbit hole of some of the stuff you and I have been talking about. But how far down can we measure the engagement of an audience? And why is that important? And how does that tie back into getting more shareholders or more investors? Yeah, this is a rabbit hole, but it's a great one to know. So on a basic level, almost everyone I've seen always has Google Analytics on their site, but it's never configured properly. It needs to, it's like a gun where you, everyone, hey, I got a gun here, but you got to put the bullets in it. You need to aim it at something. <laughs> the you site's on backwards. For wind and elevation. Yeah, yeah. All sorts of things, right? To strategically use the gun, it requires some some planning. So the tracking, you can measure all sorts of things, and especially external vendors. So let's say you put up a warm page now on your website, and it has the email. It's just a simple email capture form. Hey, join our investor list if you want to see our upcoming catalysts. If you don't want to miss them, join here. That kind of thing. Go to your third-party vendors and say, okay, do whatever you're going to do, but as a soft call to action so I can somewhat get an idea of the effectiveness of what you're doing, direct them back here to the link. And the link will have a special little tracking code. So let's say it was Corey's IR service that they were paying for. We could put a little code that said, you know, Corey IR. And all of a sudden in your reports, we can see, okay, we spent $5,000 with Corey. 400 new people came back to our to the email page. 100 of them joined our email list. You can break that down into the cost per lead. But now with some of the, the better tracking tools available and that we're starting to roll out is you can follow that person for a year or more. Just So what did they do? Did they read your news releases? Did they uh, watch more video content over how long? Like how engaged are these people? You can kind of get a good idea you can infer if one more of these high quality leads or low quality leads. And what we're getting to now is assigning actual marketing value to some of these events. How much are you willing to pay to have someone read your investor presentation? If you had $200,000 budget, let's say for the year, would you spend, be willing to spend a dollar to have an investor read, read, read that? So 200,000 investors read your investor presentation. I think that might be worth it. You can track that using properly configured analytics on your site. And that's a huge part of what we do. It's we create the reporting. So you're getting all this crazy information. There's so much of it. You want to just distill down to, to answer questions for you. What am I spending? What am I getting back? And there are ways, which was probably a, a call for later to now determine, is this person, did this person buy stock? which is the has been my problem I've been trying to solve for the past five years. It keeps me up at night. We're there now. We know how to solve that. So, But at the end of the day, you, you can generate very just almost like accounting-like reports. Here's what we spent. Here's what we got back. We shouldn't spend here. We should spend more here. That's where digital marketing can get to. It's always been one of the most difficult things to do to attribute an actual buying 
of stock to an individual investor. You know, you can do it down the path later on with shareholder reports, noble lists and stuff like this, but to do it on a consistent basis and then tie it back to actually what's working, that has been a black hole that your engineering mind has really been starting to crack and so, or, you know, to dive into. But the key takeaway here is when we think about the ability to track and measure the effectiveness of different marketing campaigns, you then know where to put your marketing dollars. We're going to start to see more and more companies get shaken out who are promising the the world and then delivering very little because the companies who really care, you know, even our competitors in this space are looking to deliver and say, no, this is where your money is converting. This is where it is not. And that measurement is what opens the kimono to say, this is the truth. You can't lie. (laughs) Google is not going to lie to us when it comes to the analytics of what's working, what's not. So they might lie to us about other things. Another story. We'll digress another time. So knowing this stuff and looking at time here, we've kind of kind of done a bit of a deep dive on an investor marketing program and some of the mechanics of it. What do we want to do when it comes down to just wrapping up and even just thinking final thoughts for CEOs, CFOs, and IR pros out there? What should they keep in mind when going out there to do paid investor marketing or are engaging with other companies to, to help them out? I'd be asking, what result do we want from this? And can we measure it? And if you can't measure it, just move down a little bit to the result that's closest to it that you can measure. Because you can measure a lot online. And then I would not be writing a million dollar checks blindly. I would be doing smaller tests with all these these vendors to determine, okay, how do these guys shake out? I would make sure that on your own website, you have automated follow-up systems in place. You want to make it as sticky as possible. Have lots of ways for people to join your email list. Lots of ways for people to ask questions. Get that remarketing in place. That will just multiply everything you're doing because now you're you're paying these guys money. You have to pay to reach their audience, but ultimately these guys send some back to you and you, you clip it. You clip all the interested people into your own pool and you need a way to follow up with them. So Making sure you have these processes in place and the ability to measure is basically step one. And we're uh, probably a logical thing to do. You can reach out to us and hop on a quick call. I'm happy to clarify questions and point me in the right directions. Yeah, I agree on that. Like we're here and we want to be a resource. I think it's almost just, you know, culturally who we are collectively as, as partners in what we do. And then when I think as a final thought or consideration from my side is that there is a better way to spend your investor dollars, the money that people are investing in your organization. There's a better way to spend that money to go out and reach new investors who are buying into your future. I have a really hard time with hearing about the amount of waste that happened in our space. Some of it is just downright fraudulent. It's, it's BS, even for good companies. They're getting taken for a ride. That's not right. It hurts all of us. It hurts the investor. It hurts the companies. And it hurts the ecosystem that we're in because it's these retail investors who are the lifeblood of the work we all do. And so it's a conviction for us that we go out there and help and provide the both the guidance and the service to go out there and get the attention of good investors. So like spending half a million bucks at a 20 million market cap mining company, that's drilling money you could be spending and hit the mother load with versus you're paying for the Porsche of some 
smooth talking promoter, right? Yeah. Like, that's the kind of stuff that I want to eliminate because capital is a precious thing. We shouldn't just be tossing it aside. So, As a final takeaway, a call to action and what we're doing here, we do encourage you, phone us, reach out, whether you're interested in the services that we could potentially provide for you or as a starting point, tapping into our knowledge to help you make better decisions with your investor marketing programs. We're here for you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Insider's Guide to Finance. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share this with your friends and colleagues so they can benefit as well. You can also subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or the Play Store. Your support there is really appreciated. For future episodes, if there's a question, topic, or specific person you'd like me to interview, feel free to reach out. You can connect with me on LinkedIn or through my website at creativereturn.ca.